Now, the, the book that we call the Acts of the Apostles, it tells us about how the church began and especially how the church grew and how the gospel spread. First of all, if you will remember that when the gospel was first preached in the gospel in the Acts of the Apostles, it was preached primarily to a Jewish audience. And in the Acts of the Apostles, we learn how that gospel, which was being preached primarily to Jews, then by the plan of God moved in such a way that it now began to be preached to the Gentiles. So first of all, we begin in fulfillment to the promise that the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, made to his apostles. You recall uh, the words of him recorded in Acts and chapter 1, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria. And then he says, to the very end of the earth. And after the day of Pentecost, that is exactly what happened. The church began to grow by leaps and bounds in Jerusalem. There were many people, of course, all of them Jewish, who heard the preaching of the gospel and embraced the Lord Jesus and became members of that early church. But as you move on in the Acts of the Apostles, you come to chapter 8, and we learn of one Philip who goes to Samaria. And there, once again, he is preaching the gospel. The hand of the Lord is upon him, and many Samaritans then turn away from sin and embrace the Lord Jesus. And for the first time, Jews and Samaritans, once again, that barrier is broken and they become brothers in Christ. And then we are given a little bit of a, a hint of what God is intending to do. Because we are told in Acts in chapter 8 that Philip meets this particular official. And this man is an African. And he had been going to Jerusalem. And he is acquainted, or at least he is exposed to the Jewish scriptures. And on this particular day, he is riding his chariot, reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go and speak to him. And the man is converted, and Philip stops the procession, and the man is baptized, and he becomes a Christian. Now, like I said, in chapter 8, it is a mere hint of what God is doing. The, the, the gospel is still, by and large, at this particular point, being preached only to the Jews. So that it's actually true to say at this point in the history of the development of the church, you only have two groups, really. You have those Jews whose eyes have been opened and they can see that Jesus is the promised Messiah. and They believe in him. They embrace him. And they follow him. And on the other hand, you have these Jews who have rejected that Jesus is the Messiah. And they want to continue as they have always done things. Those are the two groups. But God is at work. Because once you get now to Acts and chapter 10, what is a mere hint uh, becomes much clearer. 
And you know, in chapter 10, we are told about uh, this man, Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius is a Gentile, and he's a soldier, and he is a man who is upright. It looks like God has, in fact, been working and preparing him for this particular moment. Because what happens is that one day when Cornelius is going about his devotionals, he has a surprise guest. An angel appears to him and basically tells him, you know what, there's a guy called Peter and he is in such and such a place. I want you to send people to go and call him. And he's going to come and tell you words by which you will be saved. And that's exactly what happens. Cornelius sends his uh, uh, servants and they go and uh, to go call Peter. Now before they arrive, God is also working in the life of Peter uh, because Peter has this great vision that at first he does not understand the meaning. But the Bible tells us that it happens three times that he sees this vision. And as soon as he wakes up and he's beginning to think what exactly is going, is, is, is going on and what is God saying to me, then he hears that some people are out there looking for him. And then slowly, it's beginning to dawn on him what God is in fact doing. So Peter goes, and he has that most wonderful encounter with Cornelius. While he's preaching, we are told the Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius and all those people who were there with him and they are wonderfully converted and made members of the church. Now that causes a lot of problems among the Jews because the Jews hear that uh, Peter the Apostle has been to see the Gentiles and it did not sit well with them. So they summon him and chapter 11 verse 1 all the way up to verse 18 Peter is recounting to his friends, to the Jews, to the Christians what exactly happened and why he has been to Cornelius' house. He's basically telling them, you know there is something new that God is doing. And what is that new thing that he's doing? Up to this point, it was not strange for these people to know that God can save Jewish sinners. But what was unthinkable for them was that God could save a Gentile sinner. And in that particular story that Peter is recounting, he's basically letting them know, see, I think we all have really not understood until now what God has been doing. This gospel is not only for us Jewish people. It is also for the Gentiles. Now that is where we started reading from, from chapter 11 and verse 19. I needed to give you that background so that when we now begin to look at that passage that we read, you have that at the back of your mind. So this is all the work of God. It's not something that human beings are doing. Yes, these are the acts of the apostles. But in fact, to be honest, these are the acts of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who is taking the initiative and he is the one 
who is working. And basic truth that he wants to bring to his people, the people in the church, is that there is this gospel. There is this good news. There is this message from God. And it is not for Jews only. It is also for the Gentiles. And if you think about it, this is in fact what the entire Old Testament has been teaching. That God was going to reveal himself to the Jews, not just so that the Jews might be happy that they are a chosen people, but rather that through them the Gentiles would receive the message of God and be blessed. This is, in fact, the meaning of that particular promise that God gave to Abraham. Through you and through your seed, the nations of this world will be blessed. And as this gospel begins now to spread, that is the fulfillment of that Abrahamic promise that God gave him in you and through your seed, the Gentiles, the nations will be blessed. It is the beginning of that fulfillment. Now, and this is very important. You see, up until this point, All the people who have been receiving the gospel are those people who have been familiar with the Jewish scriptures, including the Gentiles. If you read the background of uh, Cornelius, he was a very religious man. In fact, if you want, he was a Jewish proselyte. And the same thing that we said about that you know, Ethiopian man who was on that uh, chariot. He was reading the scriptures. He was a man who was familiar with the Jewish scriptures. But from this point, in Acts chapter 11, verse 19 and following, the Gentiles that become Christians are Gentiles who have no background or are not familiar with the Jewish scriptures. And this is how God began to work that the church that was largely Jewish slowly but surely begins to become largely Gentile. And you find that particular distinction in chapter 11 of Acts and beginning at verse 19. And how did that happen? We are told in verse 19 of chapter 11, there are those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen. Now you remember. Remember the story of the conversion of the Apostle Paul. When we read the end of chapter 8, it says the people that were stoning Stephen their clothes, they put them at the feet of one soul of tasks. That's where we end. So remember what actually happened. This was a terrible tragedy. Here is a man of God, Stephen. The Bible describes him as a man who was full of the Holy Spirit. One who everybody noticed that God was using him. And at the time when they needed deacons, he was chosen by the church because they saw what God was doing in his life. And then from nowhere, this man is killed. This man is stoned to death. And the subsequent result of that is that there is persecution for Christians and they begin to run for their lives. Now remember, that even what human beings intend for evil, the Bible tells us, God uses it for good, for the glory of his name 
and for the spread of the gospel. And this is what chapter, nine, uh, chapter 11 verse 19 is telling us. That as a result of this particular tragic incident, the stoning and death of Stephen, and Christians running for dear life, those who were scattered, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. What were they doing as they ran away? They preached the word to no one but to Jews only. Then in verse 20, we are told, but some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, they spoke also to the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And we are told that the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of these Greeks believed and turned to the Lord Jesus. There we now begin to see God is working. And from this point onwards in the rest of the book of Acts, this place called Antioch, and Antioch was the capital city of the province of Syria, and Syria was part of the Roman Empire. And this place called Antioch subsequently becomes the center of the Christian faith rather than Jerusalem. This place where ordinary church members who had been running for dear life because of the persecution that arose out as a result of Stephen's death, those individuals, God is using them and they begin to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to their own surprise, the Gentiles believe that gospel. The Gentiles become Christians. In fact, we are told at the end of that particular passage we read, it is in this place called Antioch that Christ, uh, believers were first called Christians because they looked, they behaved, and they talked like Jesus. And the people said, these must be Christians. It's interesting, and this is the passage I wanted us to uh, take a look at together this morning. God is on the move. God is working. God is calling his elect from all the corners of this world. And at this stage that we are reading, Christians just like you, Christians just like me, who had concerned that they could be Murdered, they could be killed. They're running away so that they could preserve their lives. Nonetheless, they don't realize that that tragedy in the hand of God, in the plan of God, it is being used to spread the message of the glorious gospel of our Savior and Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. And so, Ordinary Christians are surprised that God is with them in this very unique way. That as they speak the gospel to people who have no background in the Jewish scriptures, have no access to the Jewish scriptures, God nonetheless is pleased to rescue people like that to transform people like that, to change their lives and to make them brand new people in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. And I want to say to you that this is probably the greatest encouragement that you can ever find in the Bible while you and I should be going out to share the message of the gospel. God will Surprise you. He is going to bring people to repentance. People you don't even think can ever repent. 
to your own estimation, might think, no, not these. These can't become Christians. God will surprise you, my brother, my sister. If you take him at his word and take that gospel that he has entrusted into your hands, he will own his word. He will save sinners. He will transform people and he will bring them to become members of his body. This is what happened. This is not something that a human being sort of sat down and began to, to strategize. The whole strategy is from God himself. And he is working through people, but the entire strategy is God's own and God's own alone. Now, the thing that happened after this then is that the people in Jerusalem heard, because if you read in verse 22, the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They heard. There are Christians here and they are telling us the story that they have been speaking to Gentiles. And that these Gentiles are believing the gospel and there is real pandemonium there. They say to themselves, well, we need to go and check it out. We need to find out if what's going on there is really true. We need to send somebody there. So they began to ask themselves, who can we send to Antioch? And God obviously led them, and they decided Barnabas is the man we need to send there to go and find out what's going on. So he can come and give us a good report of exactly what he can see when he gets to Antioch. And so it says they sent Barnabas to go to Antioch. And you remember, this is not the first time that you and I come across Barnabas, is it? The first time that you and I read about Barnabas is actually in Acts and chapter 4. And if you uh, want to turn back there, I'll be very happy for you. Turn to Acts chapter 4. We come across Barnabas in chapter 4 and In verse 32, now the multitudes of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that they were, they were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. They distributed to each as anyone had need. There in verse 36. And Joseph, who is also surnamed Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated, son of encouragement, a Levite from the country of Cyprus, having sold land, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I can give you a reason why they thought Barnabas should go there. Because if you go back to Acts 11, and you read verse 20 again, in light of what you have learned about Barnabas, it says there, some of the men from Cyprus. If you go back there, where was Barnabas from? He was from Cyprus. So Barnabas says, I think you know the guys were there. Go and see and find out what exactly must be happening there. So they sent Barnabas, and he came because the men that were preaching the gospel were from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they had come to Antioch. They spoke to the Greeks preaching the Lord Jesus. So most likely, Barnabas preached.
probably knew some of them. And so he was the natural person to send there that he can find out what is going on. In verse 23, we are told what the reaction of Barnabas was. We are back in Acts 11. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. And he encouraged all, all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. And then there is a comment about Barnabas himself. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So here is Barnabas, a Jew. And up to this moment, probably all the Christians that he knows and he associates with are Jews. And he is here for the first time in this strange group of people. They are Christians, but all of them from a Gentile background. And when he comes, he is not wondering whether they are eating kosher food or anything else that would have characterized the church that he was familiar with back in Jerusalem. He says here, when he comes, he sees the grace of God. That is what he was looking for. The evidence of the grace of God in the lives of these Gentile believers. That's all he was concerned about. Is there evidence of the grace of God God in the lives, in the hearts, in the testimonies of these people. And you know that grace is that favor that comes from God to sinful men and women, boys and girls. It's that favor which is not merited. Indeed, it is given to those who ill deserve it. And that is why Barnabas is excited, because he can see the evidence of God's grace in the lives of these Gentile believers. And grace is the opposite of human achievement. Grace is the opposite of something that you do or you work out. It is God loving you freely. Not because you deserve it, but because God chooses to love you. And here is God working in a strange land, a strange group of people. But God, by his grace, he invades the lives of these people. He, he begins to work in them a true knowledge of their own sinful condition and open their eyes for them to see the only hope for forgiveness, for acceptance before God in Jesus Christ, the crucified Redeemer. And they put their faith in him, calling upon his name for salvation. And as Barabbas can see that evidence, he is glad. That's all 
he is concerned about is God's grace. Are there evidences of God's grace in the lives of his people? And it has always been like that. And even this morning, that is probably the most important question you can ever ask yourself. Do you have evidence of God's grace working in your life this morning? And we are grateful that you come to providence. But that is no reason why you are right with God. We are grateful if in your life you have been baptized. But that is no reason why you are a Christian. The only reason is that God's grace has come to you. God is working in your life. There, there is the, the fingerprint, so to speak, of God's work in your own heart and life. Like as we read in the Old Testament story of the magicians that Pharaoh was using to try and counteract Moses. And then finally, those same magicians he had been relying on. Whenever Moses and Aaron, they come and they perform a miracle. He also asked them to perform a miracle. Those same ones he was relying on, they finally tell him, you know what? Sorry, king. This is God's hand at work. We cannot compete. That, that is what it means to be a Christian. If you can say to yourself, I cannot explain my life in any other terms other than that God has visited me. God is working in my life. God has called me. Once I was blind, now I can see. Once I was dead, now I am alive. There is no other explanation other than God's fingerprint. Is that the way you can describe your life this morning? Are there the fingerprints of God in your life? God in grace coming to you and awakening you from that sleep of death, making you aware of the fact that you are a sinner in danger of judgment from God and working in you to see that God in grace has made a provision for sinners. Jesus the crucified, Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, Jesus who not only died but on the third day rose from the dead. And the reason why he rose from the dead is because his death had been accepted by God as payment for our sin. And so, my friends, I want to say to you again, if you can testify the fingerprint of God in your life, God working in your conscience, God opening your eyes, God drawing you to himself, God leading you to Christ. Like Barnabas, we can rejoice. God's grace upon your life. And this is what is important. It says, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. What is it that makes you glad? What is it that makes you happy? In this 
world of time in which you and I live. What is it that makes you glad? If I can know what makes you glad, I can tell what kind of person you are. For Barnabas, this is what he lived for. You remember in chapter 4, he tells us that he came to realize what a great blessing it was to know Jesus. Perhaps before this time, he had been living for that piece of land that he owned. But God in grace opened in his eyes. He is now able to see that Christ, if I had a thousand lives, I should leave them all for Christ. Love so amazing, to use the words of Isaac Watts, so divine, demands my life, my all. And so he willingly brought his land and all the proceeds and gave it up for Christ. Here he is, a happy man, happy because he can see here is a group of people. We don't share the background, and if it were not for the gospel, I probably would not be here to be with them in the same room, but here I am because God is at work. God is working, and I want to be a part of what God is doing. He was glad to be part of what God is doing in this Antioch, having rescued sinners. Now, the last thing I want to share with you this morning is what uh, Barnabas decides to do. The news of these things came to the ears of the church, that's verse 22, in Jerusalem. They sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. Do you remember what the apostles, the reason why Barnabas was his nickname? You know why they gave him that name? Son of encouragement. And look what he's doing right there. He says he encouraged them all with full purpose of heart. They should continue with the Lord. That's why he was there. To encourage them. To let them know, guys, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And you must continue to live for Christ all your life. And then we are told in verse 24, this Barnabas was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was full of faith. Now listen to verse 25. This is what Barnabas said. Barnabas, when he saw what God is doing, he said to himself, we need a man here. We need somebody here. Listen to what he says in verse 25. Barnabas departed for Tarsus to do what? To go on a holiday? <laughs> to go and enjoy the sun? No, he said he was out there looking for one man. And do you know who that man is? The man Saul of Tarsus. So Barnabas not only was encouraging these new Gentile Christians, we see in the second place that he goes to look for Saul. Now, again, we are in Acts chapter 11. If you turn a few pages to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9,
And verse 26, uh, this is the story is really about uh, Paul, the persecutor of the church. It says, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, now he's a converted man. He tried to join the disciples. And what happened? They said, praise the Lord, hallelujah, here is Paul. No, it says they were actually they were all afraid of him and did not believe that Paul was a true disciple. They thought, this guy, this is his new trick. He's out to get us. Don't allow him. Verse 27. But Barnabas. See? Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of the Lord. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, disputed against the Greeks, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to where? To Tarsus. That's where Barnabas is going now. He knows where Paul is. So he goes to Tarsus. Now go back to chapter 11. And he says there in verse um, 25, Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it was, so it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So God used Barnabas first to reassure the church in Jerusalem. He, he is not a, a spy, you know, just trying to pretend. He reassured them, this man has met the Lord. But secondly, God uses Barnabas to bring Saul of Tarsus to Antioch. And Saul, together with Barnabas, they begin to teach and to labor in the world in Antioch. He said, for a whole year. And God blessed their preaching. God blessed their teaching. The church grew and lives were transformed and became more and more like Christ that non-Christians could not help but call them Christians. Now here's the last thing I want you to see. It is in this church that the Apostle Paul is sent as a missionary to the Gentiles. If you turn into Acts chapter 13 and then it tells you what was going on in the church at Antioch. Chapter 13 verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So the church has grown. The Holy Spirit is working. And we are told in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And what is that work? To go as missionaries to the Gentiles and to preach the gospel of Christ. Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. Now, maybe you've never seen this this is the last verse I'm going to turn to. Chapter 13 and verse 13. 
Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, now notice in, in, in the first few verses there it says Barnabas and Paul and they laid hands on them and they sent them. Then when you come to verse chapter 13 and verse 13, Paul and his party set sail from Paphos. It's no longer Barnabas and Paul. It's Paul and his party. That is where you see the new introduction. And from this point to the very end, there are a few references to Barnabas, but it's all so of Tarsus going on the work that God called him to do. It is to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Here is the application. What are you living here for? What is your vision? Perhaps the better question is that as a church, why are we here? Why do we bother to come here at all? What is our primary aim for existing as a church here in Casagrande? I suggest to you, in light of the things that we have read this morning, we are here to make Jesus known. Second question. Are we doing that? Are we making Jesus known? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. That is the question you need to ask yourself as an individual Christian. Am I doing what God has called all Christians to do to make Jesus known. Whenever there is an opportunity, are you opening your mouth and talk about Jesus? I know it's very easy for you to talk politics. I know it's very easy. You just need a little prodding and you can go on talking for the rest of the day. The question is, are you talking about Jesus? I want you to know, if you're a Christian today, that is the reason why you and I have covenanted together to be a body of God's people here. It is to reach into the community, to let them know there is a Savior. A Savior has died. There is no reason for them to die in ignorance and go to hell. And by the way, hell is real. You and I are to publish this good news just like these early Christians trusting God they ventured upon speaking to some Gentiles and much to their surprise God's hand was with them those Gentiles heard those Gentiles believed and became disciples of Christ finally If you are here, I don't know what your background is or what the color of your skin is. I want you to know 
there is only one saving. This is not a religion for the Jews. I don't think anybody can say that now because the majority of the Jews say no. Oh, at the same time, if you grew up where I grew up, this is not a religion for Anglo-Saxon Western people. This is God's revelation that it is a message for all sinners who know themselves to be sinful and are grieved because of their sinfulness. If they cry to Jesus, it doesn't matter what their background is. It doesn't matter what they have done in the past. They will be saved. I want to say to you this morning, if you are such an individual, there is a savior sent from God for a man or a woman or a boy just like you. And Jesus can save you today. That is what this message is telling us. It doesn't matter whether you are middle class or upper class, or whatever class you have. It doesn't matter whether you are working class, or however we have decided in this world to divide ourselves. There is only one Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, who went to the cross and bore the wrath of God to save sinners just like you. Forget about what class you are or how educated you are. Some people think the gospel for people who are not educated. It is for the uneducated as well as for those who are educated. It is God's message, God's revelation. God is working to save sinners. And at the end of the day, he will rescue his people he will sanctify his people and he will glorify his people and they shall be with him forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful that such good news, such glorious news 